Hello, everyone, and welcome to Psalm 37 Bible Study Lesson 6. I'm so glad you're here on Broken Vessels Mended by God podcast. My name is Ruth Douthit, and I'm a teacher of God's Word, and I truly find joy in sharing what I've learned with others as I read through His Word. And we are in Lesson 6, and as I've explained throughout this Bible study, I love Psalm 37. It has been my go-to psalm for many years, and so I wrote this Bible study many years ago, and I've taught it to friends, and so I wanted to share with you some of the insights I've learned over the years from Psalm 37. And we are approaching this passage as a structure that you might find in ancient Rome, where they have the solid foundation built beneath the earth, and that is God's word for us. And then we're imagining four pillars, four columns holding up the roof of the structure. And the roof of the structure is taking delight in the Lord. And those four columns are trust, commit, rest, and wait. And so now we are looking at the roof of the structure. We've looked at all four columns, and now we're looking at the roof, which is take delight in the Lord. So welcome. Now, in our last lesson, we looked at what it looks like to wait on the Lord, to truly wait on Him. In this lesson, we will look at what King David meant when he wrote that God's people are to delight in God and the results of that obedience of delighting in the Lord. The word delight. So many of us who read Psalm 37.4 think it is about us worshiping God. But the word delight here doesn't mean what we think it means. Once you conduct a word study of Psalm 37.4, you will see that the if-then method of approaching God isn't godly. So if you say, if you do this for me, God, then I'll worship you. No, that's not what King David knew about God. King David had, and God had a very close, intimate relationship, a personal relationship like a father and son would have. And King David understood how to approach a very holy God, the God of his forefathers. And after this lesson, we too will understand how to approach the one true God. And it won't be like we thought it was. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. When you read this verse, what comes to your mind? What is your definition of delight? Remember how these words of Psalm 37 form a foundation of true worship of God. I often thought of taking delight in the Lord meant to just truly worship with him and be with him, right? Webster's definition of the word delight is, is to please someone greatly or to take great pleasure in. As a noun, it's great pleasure or a cause or source of great pleasure. So Psalm 37.4 is probably one of the most misinterpreted verses in Scripture. It is misused by false teachers because it makes God out to be some sort of a genie in a bottle. He is there to do our bidding, 
If we take delight in him, then we will get what we desire most, they seem to say, but that's not true, is it? That's not the God of the Bible. And is that really what David meant in Psalm 37.4? Is this the message that aligns with the rest of the tapestry that is God's word that we've looked at so far? In this lesson, we will look deeper into the meaning of this verse and see how it aligns with the character of God. So get your Bibles out, a cup of your favorite beverage, find a comfortable place to sit, because we are going to search the scriptures as we learn more about our God. Delight. Imagine a sign that says stop, proceed with caution. The Hebrew word King David used here for delight in his poem, Psalm 37, is anag, I think that's how you pronounce it, and it means soft, delicate, effeminate, delicateness, softness. That's right. You read that right. So what this word he used in Psalm 37.4 does not mean is pleasure, happiness, joy, or glee. Now be honest, were you surprised by the Hebrew word David used for delight here in Psalm 37.4? Did you think before this lesson that delight in this verse aligned more with Webster's definition of delight? I did. The Hebrew word anag, David used in Psalm 37.4, is also used in Psalm 37.11. So read that. It is not the Hebrew word used in the following verses. Psalm 1-2, which is where he says, I delight in the Lord. Psalm 16-3, Psalm 62-4, Psalm 68-30, Psalm 119.16, where he said, where the author said, I will delight in your statutes, and Proverbs 11.1. 1. The Hebrew word anag used in Psalm 37.4 is also used in the following verses, Job 22.26, where he said, for then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. And in Job 27.10, Isaiah 55.2, and Isaiah 58.14. Now that we know which Hebrew word David used in his poem slash sermon, just what was it that he was saying to God's people? Well, to answer this question, we need to make sure we are keeping this verse in context. Remember, it's a thread in the tapestry. Alone, it may not make sense, but when all the threads are put together, a beautiful picture is formed. Remember to whom David was writing, God's people, who were fretting in their anger toward the prosperous wicked that surrounded them. They desired to take up sword, to go after the wicked, or many were tempted to follow after the ways of the wicked. And what did King David tell his people to do? Go back to lessons four and five, and you'll see. The people of God were approaching him with indignation. They focused on their circumstances and not on God. Does that sound familiar? We do that all the time, don't we? They looked around instead of up toward God. They weren't resting or waiting on God. And that's what King David told them to do. Come together, look for, look to 
God and be still. How do these actions align with what God's people do today, both Jewish and Gentile people? We're very impatient, are we? And we rarely wait on the Lord. If you look at a map of King David's reign, you'll see that it was very small. His empire was small compared to his son, King Solomon. Who could blame the people for being so upset when you look at all the massive empires surrounding them? Egypt, Philistia, Mesopotamia, Assyria, Persia, Babylon, the Chaldeans. They were massive in power and wealth. So God's people were surrounded by the enemy who snarled and clawed at them like a wild animal, just waiting for the chance to pounce and destroy them. God's people were very proud. They wanted to defend their land. They had a king who fought for them in many wars and was victorious in each one. But now King David was older and weary. So he warns them about how to delight in the one true God. And he is basically saying, don't approach him with arrogant demands and indignation. No, instead, approach him softly, delicately, delight in him with a soft approach as you would approach a woman. Why do you think David wanted them to approach God this way? Is this how we should approach God? David said we are not to take selfish pleasure as we delight in God in order to make us feel better. No, David commands us to approach God delicately and softly as though approaching someone quietly and cautiously with care putting this person's needs ahead of our own. I see it as how we are to approach our mothers when we see them resting in a chair. Do we run up to her shouting our demands with selfish indignation? Or do we softly approach her with our petitions? I don't know about your family, but when I was a kid, we definitely approached mom differently than dad. We knew we had to be soft and sweet with mom flowers usually worked. With dad though, we could be more matter of fact. My son definitely approaches me differently than his dad. Why do we kids approach mom differently than dad? King David's job was to remind the people about the characteristics of God. He was not a statue made of wood or stone like the pagan gods. The God of the Bible is a living God who, who created us in his image. He was spirit and therefore knew his people's thoughts as well as their deeds. And David understood this. Read Psalm 51 and you'll see King David understood how to approach a holy God. So we today would be wise to heed David's commands. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight, which means softly, delicately, effeminately, yourself also in the Lord. Desires. King David also wrote, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Another misused, misinterpreted verse for the prosperity gospel. If you, basically they're saying, if you delight in the Lord, he'll give you whatever you want. And that's not what David is saying. 
For the word desires here in Psalm 37, King David used the Hebrew word mish'alah. I think that's how you pronounce it. And it means request or petitions. This word is also used in Psalm 20, verse 5. May we shout for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. But this word is not used in Psalm 140, verse 8. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further help their evil plot, or they will be exalted. So can you see the difference between the two words? In Psalm 20, it's petitions, things that we are asking for, our requests. In Psalm 140, it's desires, meaning things that we want. Be honest, did you think that desires of your heart meant prayer requests or petitions on your knees? Or did you think it meant what you really, really want in life, what you desire in life? The difference between the words is the difference between what we want from God and what we need from God. King David understood that his people had requests of God. He also knew their desires for revenge and vengeance did not align with God's will for them. They wanted revenge and prosperity equal to what the wicked had, but they needed God's abundance of peace. Basically, David instructed God's rebellious people, who were very frustrated with the prosperity of the wicked, to delicately approach the Lord with their requests of Him, and they will receive what they need and not necessarily what they want. What about you? How do you approach God? We are told here in Psalm 37:4 that God will hear us if we approach Him humbly, softly, and not with demands. Approach the Lord right now with your list of needs and not necessarily your wants. So what is immediately most pressing on your mind today, right now? Take that to the Lord right now in prayer. Salvation of my loved ones who do not believe in Jesus is probably the most pressing thing on my mind and my heart. I have no control over this, but I have hope in the Lord and will never stop praying for their salvation. Is this a prayer request or petition that falls into God's will and aligns with His character? And should I approach God demanding Him to save my loved ones? Or should I approach Him softly with humble adoration? Yes, that's King David's message here. And it's appropriate for us even today, thousands of years later. Isn't God's word amazing? He knows what your needs are right now as you are listening to this study. He is such an awesome God. Life Application Now we must apply all that we've learned in this lesson to our lives so that we may be pleasing to God. Remember that Roman structure, the foundation, it's solid. So many of the ancient structures still stand today because of that foundation. Well, God's word is foundational to our faith. It's what we build our faith on. 
His solid rock, Jesus, the Logos, the Word of God. The heart. King David wrote, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. What does that mean? We know King David loved his people. He fought for them and bled for them. He defended them and cared for them deeply as a shepherd would care for the sheep. And he understood their frustrations, didn't he? So he lovingly wrote Psalm 37 to instruct them to depend on God, to lean on him, to trust on him, to roll their cares to him, to commit everything to him, to be still and stop. That's what he meant by rest. As they gather together, which is the word for wait, they gather together, look up, look to, look for God, and delight in Him, softly approach Him as holy. In doing this, King David assured them that their petitions and requests, desires, would be granted them by their loving God. Notice he uses the word lib for heart, which means feelings, inner thoughts, center of, intellect, mind, understanding, care, wisdom. That one word means all of that. And I remember when I used to read this verse, I meant that God, I thought it meant that God would give me all the desires of my heart, everything that I wanted. And so basically how I can explain it to you is this. You come before the Lord. Let's say I come before God and I pray, Lord, you know, make this next book a bestseller. And God asks, why? Well, because that's the desire of my heart, to have a best-selling book. And God asks, why? And I say, well, because that will give me credibility as an author. And, you know, people will respect me. And God asks, why? And I say, well, it would just help me out to have that money. You know, if a book became a bestseller, then I would make more money. And that would really help me out. And God asks, why? And I said, well, we could really use the extra money. You know, we're approaching retirement. And God asks, why? I say, well, because I'm kind of scared, God. I'm afraid that we're not going to have enough money when we retire. And I'm, I'm filled with fear and anxiety about that. And God says, that's what I wanted to know. Let's you and I talk about that. So basically what David is saying, if you approach God softly, cautiously, carefully, with humble reverence, he will listen to your petitions and he will give you those petitions. He will give you what you need, those, that inner desire of your heart, your inner thoughts, the center of you and your mind and your understanding and your feelings. Not the outward thing that you say, make my book a bestseller. No, he wants to talk to you about those inner thoughts. God, I'm scared. I'm afraid for the future. I'm afraid I won't have enough. That's what God wants to talk to you about. It's the same with counseling. When you walk into a counselor's office, they say, why are you here today? And you say, well, I'm struggling with anger management issues. And my boss wanted me to come talk to you about anger management. The counselor sees that as the presenting problem. So they start to ask you more questions, don't they? 
Well, tell me about it. What's going on at work? Well, I keep arguing with this one coworker, blah, blah, blah. And they ask you more questions. Tell me about this coworker. Well, she reminds me a lot of my mother. Oh, really? Tell me about your mother. Oh, my mother was so critical of me. My mother hurt me. My mother did this and this and this. Now the counselor sees the identified problem. The issue is between you and your mother and something is causing that anger. And the counselor will say, let's talk about that because that's the true pressing issue of your heart. That's what King David was saying to his people. He's reminding them you can go to God with all your petitions, those innermost deepest fears and anxiety. And that's what they had. They were afraid that the wicked was growing in power. They were afraid and King David was saying, take that to God. God will grant us the petitions and requests made with our mouths. David said, and also our inner thoughts, our center, our souls. When we read in Genesis 6, 5, God said, it says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So that's what that word means there. The inner thoughts, the center, the soul. And in Psalm 4, 4, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Again, in your inner thoughts, your feelings, your center, your soul. Ponder in your hearts. So God is far more interested in our inner thoughts and deepest reflections. We can say we want power and control and wealth and influence, but deep inside, we truly are asking about our fears and anxieties. We want them to be calmed. We want peace. And that's what God wants to talk about. He wants to know our deepest, darkest, and most sincere petitions and requests. A time in my life is brought to mind as I discuss this. I remember approaching my mom with my deepest concerns and thoughts when I was a teenager. It came easily because she was always willing to just talk about things. And I would enter her bedroom and she would be laying in bed reading a book or watching a television show. And I would approach her softly, quietly with my head bowed. And that's how she knew. She would ask, what's wrong, Miha? And she knew I had an inner struggle going on. I think this is how David was instructing his people to approach God. Not with fists, with harsh demands of justice, but with soft, humble requests for peace. He wrote in Psalm 37, 11, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. So you may think your petitions of the Lord may be about money or a better job or a bigger house, but deep down inside, your heart might be longing for safety and security, right? What were the desires of David's people? Power. Vengeance, prosperity, land, position, influence. Did God know this? Of course he did. He knows all of our thoughts. Were these requests pleasing to God? No. 
What about your requests, your deepest inner thoughts? Check for them right now. Are they pleasing to God? Do they align with his character? Do you have faith that God hears your inner thoughts? Do you have hope that he will give you the deep desires of your heart? You have to have faith. Without faith, we cannot please God. But what is God's will for his children? In 1 Thessalonians 4, we're told to abstain from all sexual immorality. In Romans 6, we're told to be slaves of righteousness, to use our bodies, our bodies as instruments of righteousness. And then in 1 Thessalonians 2, we're told that God's word is at work in us. We are to live set apart from the world. That's what sanctified or holiness means. God's people were trying to align themselves with the unholy and the wicked. They were envying others, and that envy comes from a heart that lacks contentment. Remember what Paul wrote in Philippians 4, that he learned to be content in all situations. And to Timothy, he wrote in 1 Timothy 6, if we have food and clothing, then we should be content. And in Hebrews 13, we're told, be content with what you have. So contentment comes from knowing God, but discontentment comes from forgetting who we are in Christ. And Colossians 2, we're told to walk in him and that we are made alive in him. And Colossians 3, we're told to put on his love. Remember King David's son, Solomon? Well, he had a chance to ask God for anything in the world. And what did he ask for? In 1 Kings 3, we're told he asked for wisdom. And God saw this young man's inner thoughts, didn't he? King Solomon did not ask for riches or power or glory. He longed to rule with wisdom. And that was his inner desire. It matched the words of his mouth. And the results, God granted him both. He became the wisest man on earth and the richest man. But God did give King Solomon a warning, a reminder of who he was as a man of God, sanctified, set apart, holy. God commanded that King Solomon obey his, God's statutes and ways and keep them always. And if he didn't, then he and the land would suffer. So pull up a map of King David's realm and then look at King Solomon's realm. And you'll see the difference. God blessed Solomon. His kingdom was massive. It went all the way down into modern-day Saudi Arabia, all the way over to Egypt, northern Africa, the Sinai Peninsula, all the way north to what where it borders the Black Sea, modern-day Turkey. His kingdom was massive. And King Solomon did honor God by building the temple in all its glory and splendor. And King Solomon's temple is still considered to be one of the most magnificent architectural feats in the world in world history. The building actually sparkled in the sun and could be seen from miles away. But then King Solomon began to sin against God. 
by marrying an Egyptian and then having over 600 wives and concubines, contaminating the bloodline of God's people. He did not remain separate. And God kept his promises and the land suffered. The enemy was allowed to infiltrate the land, destroy the temple, the very name of God, plundering it, making a mockery of God's name. I shudder at the thought of it. Solomon failed to depart from evil and do good, even though he was the wisest man on earth. And as a result, the descendants were cut off. King David warned about it in Psalm 37, depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. But the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. We can learn our lesson from King David's son, Solomon, right? God knows our every thought and need even before we ask. We must ask with pure intentions. We can do this now that we have the Holy Spirit in us. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, God knows what you need even before you ask. So do not be anxious about anything. And in Matthew 7, he says, ask. Always ask. Keep asking. But once we know how to approach God, we understand what to approach him with, right? Only then can we truly experience proper worship of God. How amazing is that? God hears us and will answer us, so keep the faith. That's the lesson King David wanted his people to learn. Hope in the God who sees and hears us. Look upon him for action against the enemy, not yourself. Look upon him, not the things of the world. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now you know what that verse really says and really means. Thank you for joining me today for this lesson. I hope that you've been as blessed as I am by studying God's Word. And next time, we'll wrap up Psalm 37 with a review of everything that we've learned so far about this amazing passage in Scripture. And until next time, God bless.